0: Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Us Initiative, and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State, Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPInfo.org. Governor Kathy Hochul signed into law this week a measure to look at potential reparations for New Yorkers whose ancestors suffered under slavery in the state. More from the Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt.
1: The new law establishes a task force to study the impact of slavery on present-day New Yorkers and look at the possibility of paying monetary reparations, as well as examining changing housing policies and reforming a criminal justice system that disproportionately imprisons black and brown people.
2: By signing this bill today, I'm authorizing the creation of a commission, a committee to study what reparations
1: might look like in New York. Hochul says New York often pats itself on the back for being the center of the abolitionist movement in the 1800s, with famous residents including Frederick Douglass, Harriet Tubman, and Sojourner Truth, as well as a robust underground railroad but she says New York's history has a darker side. Before slavery was abolished in the state in 1827, she says 20% of New York City's population was enslaved Africans. 40% of colonial households owned slaves.
2: Here in New York, there was a slave market where people bought and sold other human beings with callous disregard. It happened right on Wall Street.
1: Even after the North won the Civil War, redlining in white neighborhoods and other forms of segregation kept black and brown New Yorkers from getting ahead economically. Speakers at the announcement included the first African-American woman leader of the state Senate, Andrea Stork-Cousins, the black New York State Assembly Speaker Carl Hastie, and the Reverend Al Sharpton. Sharpton credits Hochul for her courage in creating the commission.
3: Where you go and cut deals on Wall Street, our forefathers were put on blocks and sold like a soap
1: the governor admits that the idea of reparations for slavery, which ended in the U.S. over 150 years ago, is controversial, and she says she struggled with the notion. But she says descendants of slaves need more than just an apology. Hochul says the 2022 mass shooting in her hometown of Buffalo, where a white gunman targeted and killed black shoppers, demonstrates that there's more to be done.
2: And I don't want to pretend I didn't have some concerns about this. I know many have. But here's what I do know. Anyone thinks that racism and hatred toward blacks no longer exists? Tell that to the families of the 10 victims in the grocery store and tops at the massacre in Buffalo, who once again <clears throat> Once again, I'll be staring at empty chairs over their Christmas dinner.
1: Republicans in New York disagree with the Reparations Commission. In a statement, the GOP leader of the state Senate, Minority Leader Robert Ort, called the commission divisive and unworkable. He says the reparations of slavery were paid with the blood and lives of hundreds of thousands of Americans who fought to end slavery during the Civil War. The state of California has created a similar commission. That panel recommended that thousands of dollars be paid to each descendant of slavery to make up for disparities in healthcare, access to housing and mass incarceration and policing policies that disproportionately impacted people of color. New York's commission will be required to issue its report one year after its first meeting. That should happen sometime next year. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt.
0: You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government, and politics. I'm David Gustina. This week, I sat down with Assemblymember Pat Fahey, chair of the Assembly Higher Education Committee, for a conversation about the state of higher education in New York.
4: I'm so proud to have been appointed to this position just since January. So I'm still new in some ways, Uh, still less than a year. But we must turn around the enrollment. So... Uh, Yes, we have seen a couple of private colleges uh, close, including right here in my neighborhood, uh, St. Rose. So I I feel this very passionately, and I'm just as passionate about turning this situation around before we have other closures or cutbacks. We've also seen significant cutbacks at SUNY Potsdam and SUNY Fredonia. So we have it on the public and the private sector uh, with colleges. And in, in the end, the single biggest issue is to turn around the enrollments because we can't recruit a hundred billion dollar business like Micron, even though it's Syracuse. It's very tied to our semiconductor industry and SUNY Poly right here, also in our backyard. Uh, so we can't recruit those types of businesses with doubling down on educating our workforce. We know the standards and students in general flipped during COVID. Those students are now coming into college. So we need to invest now more than ever. And the best way that I can think of doing that is uh, what has been um, 50 years in the making, and that's the TAP program or tuition assistance program. I I did a hearing on this now a month ago to get ready to try to draw attention that we've gotta help lower income and middle income families make affordable. And uh, 50 years ago, New York launched this. We were ahead of the nation then. We've fallen behind. Other states have stepped in with more significant programs to help middle and low income families. We've, We've got to increase this tap aid because We're seeing families just say it's not worth it. They don't want to see their students in debt.
0: Yeah, and one of the great things about a state public university system is the affordability of that education. So you want to raise the TAP assistance. Are you talking numbers yet? Do you have a sense of what you want to do? Because obviously we've seen the Supreme Court and the issue of affirmative action. And, you know, one of the things that TAP does do is it helps those who can't afford a a quality higher education education. It allows them to attend the university and, in some ways, keep a diverse universe.
4: Absolutely. That's been part of the beauty of the state system, right? SUNY and CUNY, by definition, were designed to be affordable. By the way, I am first-generation American. I'm first-generation college and high school, so I get the ability to make this affordable. I wouldn't be here without a community college where I grew up. So we've got to invest, we've got to make these affordable. Uh, Right now, the TAP program, again, 50 years in the making, we have not increased the income threshold, which is $80,000 for for a couple of decades, as I understand it. And even then, if you make 80,000 as a family, you're only awarded $500. We are not, TAP up until 2011, so just over a dozen years ago, TAP followed the cost of tuition. In other words, if tuition was 5,000, your top TAP award could be 5,000. Tuition is now well over 7,000. With, and with the fees, it's over 8,000. Yet the TAP award, top TAP award is still about 5,600. So we've inched that up. We decoupled it from the state tuition costs. I want to recouple it. We've got to pay tuition. We've got to help graduate students. We've got to help more middle income families. $80,000 does not have the buying power for any family. I don't care if it's one child or 10, it does not have the buying power it did 20 years ago. So we're overdue. Uh, yes, I have a, I have a whole campaign we want to launch of about 10 different proposals from myself and, and numerous colleagues. Uh, Talk to the Senate chair, Senator Stavisky, and really looking forward to going at this. And by the way, one of the—we don't want to lose ground. The Supreme Court may be going backwards with affirmative action. We don't want that to happen in New York. So the best way, again, to make sure we don't lose ground, as California did and Michigan did when they had—when their affirmative action cases um, uh, went backwards, if you will— uh, we, by including CAP and increasing it and adding in more families, that's the single best way we can make sure we continue to have this very proud di- diversity on our campuses. So it, it, it serves a, a multi-pronged effort. It's going to help us continue to attract the microns of the world, uh, as well as like the healthcare. you know, and, and uh, we're about to do the Wadsworth Labs. We have a lot of needs for educated workers. And we need, but we need to make that education affordable. And uh, CAMP will help us, as well as keeping our campuses diverse, which has been such a, a proud part of the SUNY and CUNY campuses, as well as many of our independent colleges. So, you're going to see us. We'll be doing a, a launching a whole campaign on this after the New Year's.
0: We're speaking with Assemblymember Patricia Fahey, Democrat who represents the 109th Assembly District, and she is the chair of the Higher Education Committee in the State Assembly. Now we bring in the new thing, AI, artificial intelligence. I know SUNY is looking at this. We, of course, as an adjunct, and I will disclose I am an adjunct at SUNY Albany teaching broadcasting, I, of course, worry about students cheating. But there are these tools, these AI tools that so many of us, including journalism, has to catch up on very quickly and try to be out as close to out in front of as we can because we have a brave new world coming.
4: Excellent, excellent point. I am following those trends, following the research on this as much as I possibly can. I did a bill a few months ago when we saw even famous actors having their image reused through artificial intelligence to promote dental work or whatever it was. Tom Hanks. So, even big name people through what's called generative AI uh, or generative artificial intelligence. I did a bill right after reading of a few egregious examples that would at least mandate there be a marking on any image or research used that would, in obvious letters or in obvious watermarks, if you will, say that it was conducted or presented by a generative AI. Otherwise, we'll put journalists, we'll put authors will put all sorts of people out of business. So AI has wonderful tools ahead of us, as wonderful tools for energy use, for healthcare and the delivery of healthcare, but there is, as you just said, a real downside that we have to be aware of. So there's gonna be really good news coming via AI, but there's very sobering news and great opportunity, if we're not careful, for fraud and abuse including with images and likeness and papers, even we're seeing articles. The Times Union had problems with their stories being generated elsewhere through this, again, generative AI and not crediting PU where they survive on paid subscriptions. So lots of room for great news on energy, solving some climate change issues, healthcare advances. The downside is this fraud and abuse. My bill, at minimum, at least forces the transparency to say you need that watermark it's like a campaign ad you must show now who is sending it they used to be able to be sent blindly right At least they need to show that this was with generative AI you saw Congress just a few weeks ago the Biden administration issued some new regs on this as well you also just said this, Technology is moving so rapidly, it's difficult for us to keep up to prevent some of this fraud and abuse. But I will say, i am we've gotten a lot of traction and attention already just on the one bill I've done. I'm looking to do more, but I am pleased that now the administration and Congress is starting to look at this, because just as we have spent years on intellectual property rights, when there were abuses on that with China and other countries, we need to do the same now with AI, but it's much harder. It's harder to follow, it's harder to track.
0: That's New York State Assembly member Pat Fahey, chair of the Higher Education Committee in the State Assembly. listening To the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New York State Representative Paul Tonko announced the winners of this year's Congressional App Challenge at Shaker High School on Monday. The Legislative Gazette's Samantha Simmons was there and filed this report.
5: Tonko, a Democrat from the 20th District, Joined school administrators to honor three high school students from the North Colony Central School District.
0: You have been selected as the winners of Congressman Tonko's Congressional App Challenge. So
5: we wanted to
0: well, let's get a round of applause. For
5: the, app. the team of Michael Tong, Ayush Patel, and Kushmal Watker created an app focused on increasing financial literacy. Tong, a senior, explains how Ibuck works.
6: Introduces um, public uh, terms like that usually shows up when you um, are trying to do some financial investment or involved in it. So you can get high schoolers or people interested in the basic understanding of it. And then we involve um, multiple different calculations calculators for um, uh, estimated outcome. And so people can get approximate like how much they can get earn for return and what are their risk and profits for the financial
5: investments. Tong says the group was inspired after facing difficulties while making their own investments. Patel, a junior, says given his video editing skills and his team's programming and editing knowledge, he was excited to work together to develop something that could benefit others. We developed iBook with two main functions. One function is for financial calculation and the other is for popular financial terms. Patel says getting the web application together was a bit stressful. We did, like, finish it up on the last day, and we were getting down to, like, the last hour almost at at the end because the video wasn't uploading and things like that. Carmela Avellino, an AP computer science and intro to Python teacher, says the students were practically independent when it came to the project. I present the App Challenge every year in my class, and we, I post it on Google Classroom. And I offered to help with them after school, but honestly, they didn't even—they never mentioned it again. So they did everything on their own, all in their own free time. The contest is district specific, which means a winner or winners are chosen within a district, and their app is displayed nationally through the App Challenges website. No overall winner is selected. The contest is meant to encourage students to get involved in STEM education programs like coding and computer science. Tonko, an engineer by training, says it gives him hope about the skilled workforce of the future.
0: It's interesting to see that there's as so much interest in STEM that these folks are like totally uninhibited with their thinking. You know, the, uh, uh, the sky is the limit.
5: All members of the House can host a competition under the Congressional App Challenge and submit their winners to the broader contest. Tonko sees the student's submission as part of the region's growing innovations in technology.
0: To address financial literacy in a compact of, a, of, of a, an app is a really clever and sensitive approach, I think. And so all generations can use their advice in their, their app.
5: Last year's district winner was 11th grader Robin Wu from Emma Willard School, who created the website Vultures of Emma. It allows the school's community to learn more about the birds that students frequently see soaring over the Troy campus. For more information about the app, visit WAMC.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Samantha Simmons.
0: In a historic first, in the world of thoroughbred racing, the Belmont Stakes will be coming to Saratoga Springs in 2024 as Belmont Park, the Long Island racetrack that has hosted the race for more than a century, undergoes improvements. As the Legislative Gazette's Aaron Shella-Levine reports, the tourism and hospitality industries are looking forward to the early start to summer racing. The
7: third leg of the Triple Crown will be held during a four-day Belmont Stakes racing festival in June. Officials are anticipating Saratoga Racecourse's 50,000 fan capacity to be met for the marquee race on June 8th. Thousands more are expected to flock to the city throughout the weekend. The tourist boom will arrive more than a month before the start of Saratoga's 40-day summer meet, which runs from late July through Labor Day. Kevin Toohey, General Manager of the Holiday Inn Saratoga Springs on Broadway couldn't be more excited.
3: It's just phenomenal. We're absolutely thrilled, and it's really um, we're really grateful to Naira, uh, the folks at, at Discover Saratoga, the Chamber of Commerce, and really the business community at large for for getting behind this and bringing the event here. Um, it's just just incredible, um, and it, this is our Super Bowl for uh, Saratoga. We're known for horse racing. It's it's the track is just absolutely it's historic. It's um, yeah, you know, we're just thrilled. It's uh, you know, I, I I I can't put into words. I, it's it's almost euphoric.
7: The Holiday Inn had kept its inventory open until the official announcement earlier this month. Tui says his staff are ready for an early start to summer racing.
3: We're fortunate here. Saratoga is a year-round destination, so uh, obviously the, the summers are peak season. But uh, there is events all year long. There's Chowder Fest where we sell out on the weekend. Uh, Skidmore graduation in May is always an incredibly busy weekend so uh, well this certainly is a special event it, it's not outside of the norm for us to be incredibly busy um, outside of that July August season.
1: Um, all of our staff will be excited for it because to be honest it's extra money in their pocket and after like Saratoga winter season it's just an added bonus for us.
7: Jamie Norton is the general manager of Asteria Danny which sits near the city's Congress Park. Norton says they're already getting calls for Belmont weekend reservations, but she says they won't be giving them until January 15th. So for us,
1: we're kind of unique. We don't have any walk-in coolers, so we we get orders every single day from our produce, our, everybody. So everything that we make one day, we make it again the next day. So again, it's just getting us in shape for the track season. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything different from us. We're still booking about three weeks out as of now. And we know the places in town, they are already like jacking their prices and things like that but that's not something we're going to do because we don't feel the
7: need that we have to. The normal racing season nearly triples the city's year-round population and according to City Commissioner of Accounts Dylan Moran, nearly 15 percent of the city's residential properties are rented out during the summer to accommodate the influx. Kathy Carswell, an associate broker at real estate firm Keller Williams, says that while many homeowners are excited, some may struggle due to the Belmont being held weeks before the typical summer Season.
4: Well, it's an exciting time. The the landlords have an opportunity to generate some additional income, but it it can come with some challenges because the meet is in early June and that's still the school year. So, folks that typically vacate during the summer, um, if they want to take advantage of this opportunity, they're going to have to, you know, pick up their family and and go someplace. Where will they go? Um, So, it could present some challenges for some homeowners
7: with public safety a concern with thousands of early June visitors expected Tyler McIntosh chief of the Saratoga Springs Police Department says officers are prepared.
6: We've already had a couple meetings with Nairos specifically their uh, security head of security uh, and working on a plan for that and and what their policies and procedures are going to be you know and, and we're already working on ensuring that we have uh, personnel, the appropriate number of personnel available for that weekend. But I, I think we're very well prepared, we, we started the planning early, we'll be in, in great shape when the actual event comes up.
7: The New York Racing Association says more information on ticket sales and packages for the Belmont Racing Festival will be forthcoming in the new year. This is Aaron Shallow-Levine.
0: You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. This month, state and local officials celebrated the completion of the first phase of the construction of the Adirondack Rail Trail. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more.
8: The 34-mile multi-recreational use Adirondack Rail Trail is being built in three phases between Lake Placid and Tupper Lake. The first 10 mile section, completed on December 1st, connects Lake Placid and Saranac Lake. New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Commissioner Basil Sagos said the first segment opens up areas of the Adirondacks that had previously only been seen by rail workers and passengers.
6: 10 feet wide, crushed stone. The crushed stone section continues all the way to Lake Placid. ADA accessible along the entire path. ADA accessible parking lots as well. You'll see in the spring interpretive signage and benches. The St. Regis Mohawk tribe, we're going to be doing outreach with them in order to bring in indigenous learnings and culture into this rail trail. Uh, Snowmobiling, bike riding, electric bike riding, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, walking. This will be a year-round trail, a year-round asset.
8: State Senator Dan Steck, a Republican from the 45th District, recalled the controversy that erupted over the idea of building a rail trail.
7: This was not a slam dunk easy decision that everyone 100% got on board at the get-go. And everyone has done everything they can to make this a success that they promised the people that had their concerns about whether or not this was the right thing to do, rip up the, the rails. But I think that what's been done here, we should all be very encouraged that this is first class. You couldn't ask for anything better.
8: SEGOS agreed this was a challenging project that took years to come to fruition.
6: Ten, twelve years of work uh, getting to this point. We saw litigation. We saw extraordinary disagreements between folks who were advocating for rail the whole way, folks who were advocating for trails the whole way. Finding that middle ground, right, and then developing the, the construction plan, the engineering plan to actually make it happen, finding the money for it. I mean, an amazing amount of work goes into something like this.
8: State Assemblyman D. Billy Jones, a Democrat representing the 115th District, says the trail is a significant investment in recreation and tourism that the region depends on. You know, we are a tourism economy here in the Adirondacks, and that will in turn help businesses. You know, I think overall this is a good thing for... Uh, you know, locals to recreate, to enjoy. For our tourism economy that we have here, it's extremely important for that. And uh, our local businesses will, will only uh, be, uh, be enhanced by this. Construction costs for Phase 1 are about $8 million. Phase 2 construction between Saranac Lake and Lake Clear has begun. Phase 3 will complete the trail to Tupper Lake. The entire trail is expected to be completed in 2025. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley.
0: And that about does it for this week's show. The Legislative Gazette is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. You can listen to the Legislative Gazette anytime at WAMCPodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Look for program number 2351. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina. Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from... United University Professions. Representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State, Frederick E. Cole, President. UUPinfo.org.